Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, everybody, again, and welcome to DraftSite.com's podcast. This is week 12. We're joined today by Jared Belson, Zach Gutierrez, and DJ Boyer. DJ has some breaking news to start us off. DJ, talk to me. Well, we're trying to figure out uh, what's going on here, but it looks like the NFL has announced their uh, list of 74 players is the number that were granted eligibility this year. Looks like this list was made official at about 438. Um, Usually this list is pretty uh, significant and error-free. A couple people to add to the list, no one really of any – uh, I would say significance, except for Devaris Daniels, the wide receiver from Notre Dame. That would be a pretty big name. Some other, um, David Irving, a defensive tackle from Iowa State, all the talent in the world, but he had been dismissed from the team before the season began. But about 6'7", 280, looks like he'd be a good uh, defensive end in a 3-4 system if someone gets him on the right, uh, the right path. Usually we do see a couple big names backtrack, but there's a couple big names we're not seeing on the list. Sammy Coates not on the list. Two of the three Penn Staters, Deion, uh, Deion Barnes and Donovan Smith, were not on the list. D. Hart, very good choice on his part. I think he has a great chance of being one of the top runners from, uh, for next season. The Colorado State running back at 1,200 yards, the transfer from Alabama. Charles Gaines, but the two big names, no Brett Hundley and no Marcus Mariota. There's no mention anywhere. Wow. Mariota is I, a... If you, if you let me uh, interrupt for a second, DJ, I think it's because they've actually graduated college already. Although that they are, they have another year of eligibility. They've graduated college, so I'm reading a list that the following ten players have, in timely fashion, under NFL rules, officially notified the league office that they have graduated. Consequently, they are eligible for selection in the 2015 NFL Draft, and everyone that you pretty much mentioned is on that list. And that's what they have in common. That could explain. I was going to because we're not finding anything, and again, this is breaking. So I was trying to figure out what was going on here. Um, yeah, you got uh, Huntley, Mariota, Donovan Sam, I don't think Sammy Coates would be on that list, though, because I don't think Sammy Coates is graduating. Well, he's on the list that I'm looking at, and the source of the list is uh, NFL.com. That could be it. I figured something something had to be going on here because those were some pretty big names. There's 10 names on that list that would officially make it 84. Uh, we had it reported at 80, and uh, there were a couple names that, uh, of course, we had – uh, I had not reported on. Again, DeVaris Daniels seemed to be the biggest name that no one really caught. There was no official uh, release there. Apparently, he was kind of keeping that under wraps and thought that he might uh, use the 72-hour window to rescind. But I uh, did not know Sammy Coates graduated, so that would uh, make a little more sense. If Charles Gaines is on that list, that's actually pretty significant. As, uh, as yeah, yeah. Deion Barnes, Sammy Coates, Charles Gaines, D. Hart, Brent Hundley, Nigel King, Marcus Mariota, Donovan Smith, Takoy Sumler from App State. And uh, that's what you oh, got. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, a, that's a name we didn't have either, so that must, must have been one flying under the, the radar. Uh, Noah Spence, it looks like he is going to be enrolling at Eastern Kentucky. Uh, another player, much like uh, David Irving, who I was talking about, who was a five-star recruit at Iowa State, and Iowa State doesn't get many five-star recruits, if any, that was dismissed prior to the season. Noah Spence was uh, in the same boat. Uh, it looked like he was going to actually – make his way into the draft, but it looks like that he's actually going to be enrolling at Eastern Kentucky, which is a, a very good school in the, uh, on the FCS side of things. So we, we'd, we'd have to see what, what he could do. He would he technically was uh, eligible to, again, come into this draft uh, three years being removed, but 
Uh, we'll see what he's able to do at Eastern Kentucky. Apparently there's um, – I'm trying to recall now. One of the coaches there is actually, um, I think it was Coach Hood, who would who would actually uh, has a relationship, uh, prior relationship with Urban Meyer. So seems to have been the the only link that I can see there. That that was a story that broke late as well. Apparently this was just breaking after the list had been released and nobody had saw Noah Spence either. So this one's even newer than the other list. And I'm glad that you had found that because I had been looking around and I was like, uh, someone has to be reporting this if Marcus Mariota is not on this list or Brett Hundley. Making a little more sense, but hey, we're doing this real time, guys. So that's 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 what we do. So and uh, our list was pretty was pretty accurate. We had uh, eighty, uh, eighty four seems to be the official count. Uh, adding those ten out. Uh, so could Noah Spence have gone back to Ohio State? No, he was declared ineligible in the Big Ten. I'm assuming since he was declared ineligible in the Big Ten, he would, he would be declared ineligible in all at least in all the power conferences because it doesn't make sense. He sat out last year. If you're Noah Spence and you. Uh, know that you're going to sit out a year, you know, why not sit out this year and transfer? So I think uh, it was a thing where if he were to come back to one of these conferences, even if he was allowed to, he would then sit out another year. That's a guy that uh, I think it, it can't hurt going back to Eastern Kentucky because he's supremely talented. And uh, if he were to go to, to the combine or even though he's not a senior, get to play in the senior bowl, people would see that he, you know, easily could have been, you know, a, proje- a projected second or third round pick because he's, uh, he's an athletic freak coming into this year. I thought he was the best athlete on the Ohio State defense line, and this is a, a defense line that it was crazy how many athletes they have, Joey Bosa and Michael Bennett. Well, while, while I was hoping uh, the Ohio State talk would be would be over, Zach, I think we owe you some some time here to uh, congratulate you on the Ohio State victory. And Yeah, I mean, and I was, I was supremely confident. You can go back and listen to the last one. They had the type of athletes that matched up against Oregon. They have the, the penetrating defense alignment that, that has always given Oregon trouble. They played Oregon in the uh, 2010 Rose Bowl, and I, I understand that it was Jim Trussell versus Chip Kelly, but Helfrich was the offense coordinator, and Ohio State gave them the same problems. The same problems that – the problems that Oregon has against teams like Ohio State and SEC teams is – when you have a penetrating defense line, you can look at the national championship against Auburn, where Nick Fairley pretty much lived in the backfield. And I just thought Ohio State, all in all, well, you know, wasn't getting enough credit. In fact, they were a seven-point underdog. You know, it's good for me because I bet on them, but uh, it, it just didn't make sense to me. And uh, I mean, just Ohio State's power run game was unstoppable, and, and they they lose almost nobody. If next year, I mean, I don't know who is going to beat them. And if it's not Michigan State, I, there's no one in the Big Ten that's going to beat them. And nationally, I, I don't think anybody can can beat them. I think they're going to, I mean, hammer everybody next year. They lose. They lose Devin Smith and you know Michael Bennett. Were you Decker. surprised that Cardell Jones uh, decided to come back? Uh, I'm not surprised. I'm just uh, a little confused as to what's going on. Uh, I have, if I had the, the conspiracy theorist in me, wants to say. Before all this happened, I thought Braxton very well could transfer. JT Barrett was the starting quarterback at Ohio State for the foreseeable future. Uh, if JT Barrett's leg or ankle takes longer to heal, then I, I say it's still Braxton Miller over Cardell. And then Cardell comes in. The thing, and this is, the, like I said, the conspiracy theorist in me, I could see JT Barrett, who's from the state of Texas, sitting out a year and maybe transferring somewhere like Houston, where uh, Ohio State's offense coordinator, Tom Harmon, just took the, the head coaching job. So that's like, a, you know, just something in my head that could potentially happen. But it's a good problem to have at Ohio State. I mean, Cardell Jones looked absolutely excellent. Exactly what you need for Ohio State with the athletes that he has around him. And he, and he really suits the team, the power running aspect of that team. So, I mean, 
Congratulations to the Buckeyes. Great time to be a Buckeyes fan. Future's uh, very bright at Ohio State, as Urban Meyer says. First off, I know that uh, when this is rebroadcast, you're going to be dubbing in like the Ohio State fight song or, or some uh, mm-hmm. something with no, that thing dropping or something. You're going to have to do. Oh, oh, for sure you'd be doing it. But first off, uh, Houston, uh, Houston would, would kind of make some sense. Uh, would kind of be kind of full circle there because they were under uh, a uh, Twitter controversy as well with John O'Corn, who was a very highly regarded uh, quarterback. 2013 had a wonderful freshman campaign, looked to be one of the um, better returning sophomores in the country, was supposed to have a big year and got benched kind of midway through the year. And there's a lot of talk that he's one of these quarterbacks that are going to transfer. There was a picture with him on Twitter, of course, with James Winston, because, you know, lightning just seems to follow him everywhere he goes. And there was a lot of talk uh, about Texas and the availability and the University of Texas looking for a quarterback and that uh, John O'Corn would be going there after David Ash, of course, had to end his career prematurely because of concussions. Tyrone Swoops really not looking like he's really ready for the big time. So there's a lot of talk that O'Corn is actually leaving Houston. Texas has kind of shot it down quickly, uh, but not shot down that they're looking for a quarterback, but maybe he's not the person. So, uh, yeah, it would it'd kind of be a full circle thing where we're going to see a, a couple of names like that, you know, Braxton Miller, even uh, Everett Golson and what's going to go on at Notre Dame. So. It, it was a big win for the Buckeyes. Really just won that game at the line of scrimmage. I mean, the, the game was not really as close as the score would indicate, even though, you know, Oregon had pulled in, in and, and made that a 21-20 game at one point. Just losing the battle at the line of scrimmage, uh, it just looked like Ohio State could fall forward and get about four or five yards. It was it was just amazing. And I think uh, the only thing about Cardell Jones that really surprised me was this, this had to be a last-minute decision because why schedule the press conference like that? It had all the makings of the fact that he was going to announce he was going pro. So I was just a little bit surprised at the way that that was handled because normally that, that's not the big fanfare and, and everything that went around that press conference and got everybody buzzing. It just seemed to be a, a weird way of doing that. Either there was a last-minute decision or, or really he was kind of wrestling with that till the end. So, But again, as... Uh, as indicated by Zach, it's a, it's a very good problem for Ohio State to have. And uh, and another thing is I've I've already seen a lot of polls or people already kind of predicting Ohio State, you know, being at the top there. But the other the only team that that I mentioned as well being TCU, and I'm I'm starting to see the the rumblings there. So I think there's more people listening to this podcast and they're letting on because that's something as, as Zach was saying about how uh, confident he was about Ohio State. I was seeing the only team that I could see. Being number one in the polls or being right there with Ohio State is TCU. They're going to lose a few people, but not a whole lot either. They're going to have a very explosive offense, and that's what we're seeing right now. People are in the uh, polls that are way, way too early and injuries and things that happen. TCU, I think, is the only team that you can really talk about being at the top there, and I think uh, the Horned Frogs are going to be something to reckon with. Zach, did you think that Cardell Jones' news conference was uh, potentially a last-minute change of heart for him? Uh, no, I don't think he ever had any intention doing it. Uh, he said that you know the news conference wasn't his idea. You got to realize that the, the, the Ohio State coach 2.0. If you're going to go to Ohio State, you got to be in with uh, with Coach Ginn, the father of Ted Ginn, where Troy Smith went to high school, where Ted Ginn went to high school, where Cardell Jones went to high school. I feel like he pulls a lot of the strings there. Um, I really, really like Cardell Jones. I'm telling you, I love I love JT Barrett. And the thing I love about about both JT Barrett and Cardell Jones is the fact that they're, they're almost unflappable. When Cardell Jones had that Winston-esque turnover, uh, Urban Meyer came over and, you know, was obviously very upset and was screaming. He says, what happened? What happened? And Cardell Jones goes, oh, I dropped it, you know, and then just went back to doing what he was doing. He, 
just seems very unfazed by the moment. JT Barrett's the same way. Uh, but as for the press conference, I, I don't think it was his idea. I think, uh, if, if anything, I, I would say that uh, you know, Ted Ginn's dad had something to do with it. You know, any publicity is good publicity. Gets more yeah, I mean, talking. I think it made sense if you were if you were coming back, you know, because I, I thought for sure he was he was going to leave for the NFL at that moment because I said he's doing this press conference, he's going to get unbelievable publicity, and if he declares, he's going to start making money from day one because of um, all the sponsorships and stuff. But uh, but then I realized, yeah, exactly. yeah, if he know, even play. if he doesn't go to the NFL, if he never goes to the NFL, this man is from Cleveland, Ohio, from Glenville High School. He led Ohio State to a national championship. He, no matter what, there's going to be a career opportunity for him, whether it be a high school coach, whether it be working with Ohio State. But he is he is going to go down like a Craig Krenzel. Who, who knows who Craig Krenzel is? But if you go to Ohio, if you go to Columbus, you know everybody knows who Craig Krenzel is. When you lead a school like Ohio State to the national championship, that's like winning the Heisman Trophy. I think he sees that, and uh, I mean he's been at a high school for you know a very very long time. I mean he's he's like almost my age. Uh, but uh, maybe, maybe he stays another year with Urban Meyer and then transfers to another school after he graduates, so he doesn't have to sit out. You know, it's just he's in a good. He's in a. He's it's an open competition. You know, that's it's not saying that you know either one of them, any one of the three are going to be benched. But I also just want to talk about because we haven't mentioned all how dominant Ezekiel Elliott is in all in all facets of the game. About as impressive as a championship performance that I've ever seen, maybe apart from from Vince Young. But just dominant. And all around, all around, I, I'm telling you, when putting him into the NFL draft consideration, even though he's not a true sophomore, he won't be able to go, I would take him over Todd Gurley and maybe over Melvin Gordon because all around he's just excellent. He's, he's, one of the, he's the perfect football player, the football, potential football player. Well, it brings up a very interesting point because we, we heard a little bit about this last year, about Jameis Winston, why would he play football again? Just sit out, don't risk injury. Now you saw you bring up Todd Gurley. Here's a guy who... Everyone thought was the top running back going into this season. He suffers the torn ACL. It's obviously going to affect his draft stock a little bit, but but I, I still think he's going to be a high draft pick. There's already talk the fact that Elliott is a, a true sophomore, not eligible for the draft. There are some that are already saying, why play football? It's not going to happen. I think he's going to play football, but I think in the next two to three years, this is going to happen. We're going to hit a prospect who is actually going to do this. I think they're actually going to sit out or some big name is really going to get hurt it's going to hurt their draft stock, and they're going to you know, point to that as the reason as to why they're going to sit out for a season. And I think the NFL at some point is going to have to make a decision or, or possibly even change the, the labor agreement and, and letting some of these players actually go pro. Uh, it seems like maybe every year we're, we're going to have someone, and Elliott is, is kind of a lightning rod for this this year because, like you said, he's, he's a dominant player. He's probably a guy taken in the first round if he's eligible right now. But, uh, Especially at running not. back, you got to consider this. At quarterback, it's a little bit different. But at running back, when you see at the sharp decline that running backs hit, that happens with running back at the age of thirty because of, of their workload, at running back, I think it's a no-brainer. And it's funny because Time actually wrote an article on it called "Let uh, Let Ezekiel Go Pro." You know, it's funny when Time's getting involved. But I mean, when, to say, I mean, he was dumb. the last three games of the year. I mean, if you can go back and tell me a more dominant three games in the at least from the BCS era on against that type of competition, Wisconsin, Alabama, and Oregon. I mean, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find anything like that, any type of production like that from a running back. Three, three games that dominant, you have to go all the way back to Herschel Walker's freshman year when he led Georgia to the title in 1981. That's, uh, it, it's been 30 years. That's, the, that's what it reminded me of. And uh, just to come full circle here, 
you know, the, the Maurice Claret thing, dealing with Ohio, dealing with Ohio State, and when uh, the whole the whole thing was about uh, whether he was going to be in the draft or not. A lot of people forget that it had that suit kind of continued, and he actually sued for eligibility to be in the draft. A lot of people forget there was one running back who was actually following on his coattails that was actually in high school and was going to skip college altogether. If everyone remember who that running back was, it was Adrian Peterson. So imagine if that actually goes the other way, and Adrian Peterson is the first guy to actually enter the NFL. Because if there's any guy who was physically ready, it probably was Adrian Peterson. That could have changed the whole landscape. And I, it's not going to happen with Ezekiel Elliott, but I think in the, probably about the next three years, we're going to see this happen, and the NFL is going to have to make a big decision. Zach, tell me if you like this comparison. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott yeah. reminds, me of, reminds me of a faster Mark Ingram. What do you think about that? You know what? That's an amazing comparison. Cause that's ex- that's like exactly what I was thinking when I uh, I'm being dead serious when I was watching uh, the national championship. He he reminds me of Mark Ingram a lot, he, and it's also because he kind of has that I don't want to say like chubby face of Mark Ingram, but he's definitely got a, a wider face, like a like a pit bull almost. But yeah, he he, he reminds me of a, that's a, that's a great comparison. Very very similar yeah. to Mark Ingram. But yeah, uh, I mean, in all other facets of the game, he's excellent as a pass catcher. You have to watch. The way he blocks, I, I don't – in all my years of watching college football, I've never seen such an effective, violent blocker at the running back position. Willing. Another player um, I think he reminds me of, you've got to go back about 20 years or so, but a guy who didn't get as much pub in college and really kind of burst onto the pro scene. But when I, when I go back and look at, at film, it reminds me a lot of when Natron Means actually burst onto the scene. Another player who I think had deceptively good hands as well, was a pretty good blocker, was actually – made that team actually as a fullback, and then everybody realized that, you know, how effective he was running the football. Uh, Mark Ingram, pretty good comparison. I see a lot of Natron Mean from the 90s now. He fell off pretty quick because he was pretty physical as well, but there were about two to three years there where he was uh, one of the better runners in the NFL. And uh, That's that, that shelf life we're talking about, for especially for running backs. Remember when Natron Means, Barry Foster, these guys that were incredible in the AFC, and then like, then, then they're done, you know, because the shelf life for a running back is, is not that long. So for somebody like Ezekiel, I mean, it would make sense to sit out a year. And as a Buckeye fan, I would be upset. But the kid they got from Brooklyn coming in uh, that's already on the team, Curtis Samuel, is going to be uh, going to be excellent. So at Ohio State, the rich always get richer. Power backs are always going to have trouble with injury because, you know, when you get a power back on your team, you want to just run them into the defense to wear that defense down. And so that game is going to be predicated on just busting up bodies and running, running your body into another one. Whereas, you know, when you're a finesse back, you have a much longer likelihood. You know, maybe you have knee problems because you're shifting around a lot, but uh, you're not getting, not getting smashed as much by 350-pound nose tackles. So uh, speaking of Mark Ingram before, he actually just made the Pro Bowl. What do you guys think of that? Pro Bowl is kind of a joke now. Everyone's opting out. Uh... I mean, eventually it's going to become like more of a skills competition, flag football with all the injuries. I mean, especially if they even consider lengthening the season, but just look at all the people that are dropping out of the Pro Bowl. So here was always my idea for the Pro Bowl, and tell me what you thought. How about we make the Pro Bowl a flag football game, right? You take away, take away all the protection, take away the helmet, hike everyone up. What better would it be to see these guys in their true element just, you know, horsing around, not having to worry about tackling or getting hurt, 
and you could actually see their faces and their expressions. I mean, that changes everything. That's really what a Pro Bowl experience is about, is, is interacting with these all-stars. What do you think about that? If you remember a few years ago, there was a running back, another short-lived running back by the name of Robert Edwards that tore his ACL in a flag football game for the Pro Bowl. So, you know, there's always going to be a risk for injury. Glad you brought true. that up. That's where I was going with that. Absolutely. So, these players are so beat up, you just let them rest. But they do a skill competition now. I mean, do you think you just expand that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I mean, the Pro Bowl, you can, I definitely like that they, uh, the, you know, they smacked it in between the, uh, you know, the conference championships and the Super Bowl. But, like, it's, I mean, there's no blitzing. You got to run. I mean, it's just really just you know, base defenses. I, I really don't think there's uh, any reason for it. Maybe I would do like a like a young players version of the Pro Bowl, like an all rookie all rookie versus all sophomores team like the NBA does or something like that. But you people are dropping out left and right. Pretty soon, you know, no one's gonna be going to the Pro Bowl. Speaking of some of these high-caliber competitions, DJ, the East-West Shrine game happened uh, the other day, and you wrote about it on the blog, draftsite.wordpress.com which we're going to integrate into the site very soon. Um, tell us about some of your thoughts of that game. Well, if you were looking for offense, you were looking at the wrong game. Uh, there was less than 300 yards offense between both teams. It was Defense is usually kind of ahead of the offense in, in, in games like this when you've got short preparation time and you've got kind of that all-star game. Uh, but usually, you know, you're still not devoid of points. There's always some big plays that happen. Uh, and really, when, when your MVP is a kicker, uh, yourself – South Florida field goal uh, kicker actually make, goes four for four. There's only one touchdown in the game that happens in the last minute. Uh, Dominic Brown, the running back from Louisville, who I think is a fringe prospect because he's one of the better uh, pass catchers in this draft and can actually, I think maybe next to Kevin Parks from Virginia, who I think gets drafted just because I think he's the best receiver uh, in the uh, the running back class that's going to be available. You're really uh, looking at uh, uh, the defense really, really showed up. It was really surprised that uh, none of the quarterbacks really played well. Uh, Hudson Mason had some pretty good stats, but it was really kind of garbage time. The one quarterback, all reports, and someone that I've liked all year, uh, Taylor Heineke from uh, Old Dominion, was far and away uh, apparently the best quarterback in in all of the uh, practices, walkthroughs. Really kind of a tough time in the game. Just went two for nine, had an interception. But was uh, actually uh, was picked off by Josh Shaw. The, uh, The everybody remembers him as the balcony jumper from USC. I think has probably helped his stock a little bit. So uh, just just not a lot going on in way of offense. Defense really shown. I was happy, though, because the one guy who really, really played well and I wrote about was uh, Zedarius Smith, who is the other defensive end in Kentucky, crossed the, crossed the line from Alvin Dupree. And I've said, and I thought this guy had second-round talent, and I think he's pushed down the board a little bit because the general consensus is he's just helped out by having Dupree on the other side. But I think he's really made a statement this week and shown that he's more than just a compliment player. He can be a very good player at the next level. I've had him going in the fourth and fifth rounds in some of the last mocks. I think he's probably in the third round. Again, I've said I think he's second-round talent. I just hope that he's done enough to differentiate himself. And Dupree's a definite first-rounder. It's just, And that's not taking anything away from Dupree. I think there were just two very, very good defensive ends there at Kentucky, and I think he really helped his stock a lot in this game. So Marvin Kloss was uh, was the MVP, as he said. Um, do you think these games really give scouts what they're looking for in terms of hidden prospects? Oh, I think they do. And in, in, in a lot of years, you know, covering the combine and actually going to the senior bowl, the, to me, the senior bowl is, is much better. But really, there's, I would say, probably about 40 to maybe 55% of the people that go down there never stick around for the game. What you're actually seeing in drills, um, actually interviewing these players and seeing what they're able to do one-on-one with coaching and being right there and not before the game is actually more important than the game is itself. That's that's almost an afterthought to some people. I still think some people who performed well in those drills, like a 
a Taylor Heineke, excuse me, like uh, Anthony Chiquillo from, uh, from Miami, who played pretty well in the game, but he really stood out in practices as well. I think it's really going to go a long way for them. Uh, Brent Boyko from UNLV. Uh, you've also had Addison Reed, I think, is uh, going to be the first time, maybe in about, well, last year we actually had the, the lineman from Canada get drafted in the fifth round by the Chiefs. We could have another one, Addison Reed, a six foot five receiver from Canada, was up there. He actually played pretty well in the game. Uh, Trey McBride, good small schooler from William and Mary. So there was definitely some some very good talent on display there. Uh, Mickey Balkus, the uh, the six foot nine, six foot eight and a half offensive tackle from Arizona, another player that I think caught a lot of people's eye. But uh, again, some of those players who played better or, or shown better in, in the practices per se and the one on one drills. Uh, than vice the game, it may not hurt them as, as much as people really think. Jack, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on one guy um, who was Michigan's quarterback last year and the year before, but before that when Denar Robinson was, was there, he was actually the one of their wide receivers, and that's Devin Gardner out of Michigan. What are your thoughts on him as a, a wide receiver prospect at the NFL? Uh, he's interesting, and, uh, you know, growing up a Steelers fan, uh, I know the, the change is definitely possible. I mean, you have Antoine Randall and Heinz uh, Ward. What's more intriguing about him is that he's six foot four, so uh, that's going to bode well for him. You know, I haven't seen him play receiver since Denard Robinson was there, so I, I don't know. I'd say that's somebody like like Denard Robinson. You you draft in the sixth, seventh round. Um, I heard he practiced well at the, at the Shrine game, but uh, I mean that's that's all I really heard about him. But the fact that he's six four is uh, you know that's Definitely exciting. Well, someone takes a flyer on him. I think pr- practice was pretty erratic. He was definitely some days he was on. Some teams really liked him. Other teams, he's really just not on the radar. So I just think the, the scope of work was all over the place. But he's got the size. He uh, definitely has the intangibles for someone you think can, can possibly make the transition. And someone like Denard Robinson, who I've said I think can be very successful in the NFL, but I've said I don't know why the Jaguars are not trying to be a cornerback. That was where he was – there were a number of schools. Uh, he actually turned down his scholarship to the University of Miami. That's where he was supposed to go as a corner. He actually uh, walked away from a few schools and, and settled on Michigan because of playing the quarterback position. I always thought that it would be a, a very good transition. I can't believe we don't see more safeties or, or corners in, instead of uh, inserting quarterbacks as running backs or wide receivers. Wide receiver makes sense. And Robinson, you know, he had a couple of 100-yard games last year, played well, but fumble-sidus really got him not able to, to really block on a consistent basis and then really put the – I think he put the ball on the turf seven times, lost five fumbles last year. That ultimately kind of uh, – he's good enough to keep on the roster, but not someone to build around, and I think the Jaguars will be looking in, at that running back – area at some point in this draft. But uh, Devin Gardner-Hill, someone's definitely going to take a flyer on him. We see it a lot. Even a player like uh, Logan Thomas that came in with all the athletic talent in the world and really just failed to produce at, at Virginia Tech. But they they got him on the roster there in Arizona where they definitely need some, some help and a long-term solution at some point. But it's going to take him a lot as well. Sometimes just the intangibles alone will get some of these players who are athletically gifted drafted in the sixth or seventh round. DJ, I think you bring up a, a very interesting point to backtrack for a second, that quarterbacks, a lot of times, they're always talking about them becoming wide receivers because they understand the offense. But the truth is they can only impact so much of the game, you know, when the quarterback throws in the ball. But when they're a cornerback, they can actually impact a lot more of the game because they can they understand the closing quarterback's mechanisms and nuances and, and, and can see certain things from a quarterback's perspective that most people on defense cannot see. So I think you're absolutely spot on there. I think, um, you know, a lot of these players should transition to quarter, cornerback. I think the biggest challenge is getting the players to agree to that. 
because a lot of these players, you know, a lot of the players that come into the league or play football, well, some of them start at cornerback, their skills get improved, they become wide receivers, they become quarterbacks. And I think potentially convincing them to move to the defensive side of the ball sometimes could feel like an ego hit. What do you think, Zach? I think it's tough, especially for a quarterback, somebody that went through college wearing the red jersey, to come up and start playing run support in the NFL. I mean, there's not too many quarterbacks that I can think of off the bat. Like, I thought maybe uh, maybe with Tebow it was uh, too much of a hit on his ego, but, like, that's a guy that probably could have helped out in run support as maybe, like, a, you know, a situational linebacker instead of his football instincts. But to, to take somebody and uh, that was a quarterback and have him play cornerback, I mean, it's just it's a completely different mentality. And it's, I mean, to have him do it in, in college is one thing, but to have them do it in the pros, I mean, it's, it's incredibly unlikely. All right. Well, it uh, looks like we have the Super Bowl all set up. Uh, we got the Seattle Seahawks against the New England Patriots. I think if anyone watched the game yesterday, I'm sure you were blown away as I was uh, about Seattle's comeback. Um, although you both predicted Seattle was going to win that game, right? Yeah. Yes. So I, I, but I did say in the last podcast, I said, watch out for Green Bay's defense. I think they're very underrated. I think they, they're underappreciated. Uh, but, you know, it's, you can't make mistakes late in the playoff game, and I think Seattle proved that. Now, going into the next game, you know, Seattle and New England, obviously these are preeminent teams. DJ, who do you think is uh, coming out of this one alive? Uh, this one is one of the more interesting matchups. It's, it's, it's really kind of a toss-up. This could go either way. Uh, New England just seems to be that perennial team that's always there in Seattle. You know, if, if they're able to win this, we're going to start hearing the dynasty talk out of Seattle. And they've, uh, aside from Marshawn Lynch, they've got a lot of their key pieces in place. So, um, I, but I do have to, I would say just give the early edge to Seattle. I'm just, uh, in the, these big games, we see it so often. I, I heard some people talking about, well, you've got maybe the best and most complete offense against the best defense. And, you know, when this happens, uh, this is exactly what happened last year. Peyton Manning, after that record-breaking year and, basically rewriting the record book and uh, for the quarterback position and breaking everything under the sun and just ran into a buzzsaw. Uh, Seattle was just on top of its game. And, you know, coming into this game, they had won seven in a row, 10 out of 11. Uh, Russell Wilson really making some, some bad decisions, and I, I think that's something that was something we've not seen out of him, throwing seven interceptions all year, throwing four in the game. But I did think you touched upon the fact that Green Bay's defense, I think it was something that, didn't get talked about enough. You know, we had some players like, uh, you know, Clinton Dix made uh, two interceptions, you know, their, their top pick from this past year. But sometimes I think that that spy position is overlooked a lot or people make more out of it than what it really is, and sometimes the effectiveness is just not there. But what Green Bay was doing with Clay Matthews on approximately 70 to 80% of the snaps, and he was just basically spying and watching Russell Wilson, really made him uncomfortable because you think about the success of Seattle's offense. A lot of times it starts with Russell Wilson making a couple big runs and, and then opening something up downfield and getting a big play. And he was just not able to do that aside from that 15-yard run on that last drive where they took the lead, he was just really bottled up all day, had nowhere to go. They were getting some good good pressure against that, that line that I think everyone thought with Max Unger coming back it was going to cure all the ails that that Seattle line had throughout the year, and that was not the case. I think Clay Matthews had a huge impact on that game. Green Bay wins, even though it doesn't show up with the greatest stats, I think Clay Matthews may have been the MVP of that game. Um, I'm excited for the Super Bowl, as any football fan is. This is probably about as excited going into the last two years. We have been real treats in terms of build-up, you know, having two re- teams that, you know, people really want to see, you know, the number one overall seeds coming in. Uh, I was worried to see, uh, obviously, the way Russell Wilson played and the way 
you know, missing Percy Harvin, like that extra playmaker on uh, offense, is going to be an issue for Seattle moving forward. And that's, I, I think, especially with Paul Richardson, who I thought was going to be like their X factor late in the playoffs, carrying his ACL, the guy that could stretch the field. I thought uh, that, uh, you know, they're going to need to find somebody else to, to make plays on offense. But the reason why I like Seattle, and I'll always like Seattle, and I'll always take Seattle, is because of the Legion of Boom. And if you watch the Legion of Boom, that's all they care about is football. That's all they talk about is football. It's kind of like... When you see the Patriots' success, a lot of people attribute it to Brady and Belichick always being on the same page in the offseason. The football knowledge and the passion for football that the three, you know, the three stars have in Cam Chancellor, uh, Earl Thomas, and uh, Richard Sherman. I mean, it, it's gonna it's gonna be tough to beat. And uh, I think people were saying maybe Marshawn's head wasn't in the right place, but I mean, he was excellent, excellent in the NFC championship and, and, you know, defense wins championships. And for every funny uh, uh, formation that uh, the Patriots throw out there for every, when you never know who's going to be ineligible, I promise you with the communication in the Seattle secondary that they're going to be ready for anything that Seattle, I mean, anything New England throws at them, uh, they're going to get New England one-dimensional. No one can run the ball in Seattle. And, uh, I mean, if I had to bet, I, I would take Seattle. Seattle's the best football team that I've ever seen. Last year's team was the best football team that I've ever seen. When they lose Marshawn Lynch next year, coming into, you know, coming into next year, they'll be, they'll be the favorite to win the Super Bowl. The combination of the Legion of Boom, Russell Wilson, and Pete Carroll is, is, I don't want to say unbeatable, but I mean, as close to it. Is I've seen in my lifetime, and you could say, oh, the Patriots when they won three Super Bowls. It's funny because whenever the when the Patriots were actually winning Super Bowls, I don't think they were as complete a team as when they you know where they when they were losing Super Bowls. But I mean, just to see the complete domination of them turning it on at the right time, they play with a, a huge chip on their shoulder. Other than other than Earl Thomas, I mean, they're all, they were all drafted later than they should have been. I mean, Marshawn Lynch was drafted very high, but you know he was left for dead by. But I got, I got, I got to go Seattle. I'll take Seattle all day. I'll take Seattle against any team in the history of the NFL. I do like Seattle. They they have a couple players that are they're going to have to step up. I think one. I, I love the Legion of Boom. I think also the the return of Bobby Wagner and what he brings at middle linebacker. I think it's no no real mystery as to when that defense really started to hit its stride. Uh, Bobby Wagner is playing really well, uh, getting some contributions from from players like O'Brien Schofield at defensive end. Another player who was kind of left out there and. Seattle kind of took him off the wire, and he's really played well down the stretch. And I also think, you know, that receiver, it's a very good point. I think that uh, we're going to have to see a, a little bit more of Ricardo Lockett, uh, a, a guy who, who made a couple of really big plays. We've seen him uh, be a force on special teams, and he, you know, he comes up with that play every now and again, very very uh, kind of that X factor, maybe like a Jacoby Jones was for uh, for Baltimore, and that type of player who, who helps a little bit in that passing game, but I think maybe has some of those that increased role in a game or two, and can really be that guy because you know Paul Richardson's a guy that I really like as well. And that's not a, a debilitating injury where it's going to cut into some of his play for next season. But uh, and another thing that we always preach, and being a draft side, always talk about those small school players. You're talking Bobby Wagner, Utah State, and you're talking Fort Valley State for Ricardo uh, for Ricardo Lockett. So again. Bruce in the pudding, those small school players, they matter. And those guys perform very well at the Combine. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people say, well, the Combine doesn't mean anything, but uh, it certainly does. I mean, it, it can it can tell you a lot about a player, right, TJ? Oh, it definitely can. There, And uh, I think more of the one-on-one. Uh, one of the uh, – sometimes it's just amazing to see just the communication and sometimes just the, the interviews, especially at the, the Combine. You've got more brass. I think there's more of the – 
kind of the scouts and personnel where the senior bowl was always my favorite place to go. But uh, at the combine, the, the interviews sometimes are, ju- are just really worth it. What, what I tell people is I actually saw the, the changing of a guard. I think this was 2002. One of the first combines I'd actually covered was when Kevin Jones had actually come out of Virginia Tech was really looked at as the top running back uh, in the draft. He, he goes in, he's one of those players who went to the combine and didn't perform. He was basically there just to talk. He, he skipped out of all of his drills. People are shoving a microphone in his face from right there, and they're like, so uh, why are you here if you're not, uh, you know, you're not doing any drills? And, you know, you're, you're ready for that obligatory, you know, kind of politically correct answer. And he goes, I don't know. As soon as he did that, I saw this man out of the corner of my eye just sprint. He set up a and basically about 20 feet away on the other side, got his prospect up there within 15 minutes. He was given a press conference. This was a guy who was looked at as maybe the third or fourth best running back in that draft. He started talking about all his aspirations outside of football and how he was going to school for architecture and just blew it, killed it. And at that moment, you just saw the changing of the guard. He became the number one running back. That guy's name was Steven Jackson, and the rest was kind of history. So sometimes wow. it, those little things to get at the combine, that was – one of the most interesting moments I'd ever witnessed. That was just pure gold. It was just seeing the changing of the guard. Sometimes it's those little things that people don't realize. And, uh, hey, Evan Jones really uh, kind of cost himself. He was taken at the, the end of the first round, but he definitely slipped about 10 to 15 spots and never really recovered. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people after that draft were wondering why he fell so much, including myself. I was a big fan of him, um, but I think you nailed it. I mean, a lot of these teams, they look for fits. They look for guys are going to buy into their system and play without complaining uh, because these coaches, they're, they're good for a reason. And the ones who have a lot of success, um, you know, get the players who fit with their, with their uh, protocol and they fit with their culture. And I think we see that year after year. There's a reason why, you know, the players that they pick aren't just miraculously put into the system and work, but they pick a certain personality that also works in their system. And I think the Seattle with Pete Carroll and, and New England with uh, Belichick are, are two proven commodities in the NFL for how that process really works and how culture plays a big fit into this. Personality is a big thing. It's not always just the obligatory Wonderlick test that we always hear about, but the Colts were a team that used that Wonderlick combined with a personality test. It's kind of like a two-headed juggernaut. They'll tell a lot of people. Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf were pretty similar. It was those, those tests that they gave that pretty much blew it out of the water. But it wasn't just that. It was actually right around that time as well. That, those tests are actually what caused them to pass on Ricky Williams and actually select Edger and James. So there must be something to it because the Colts hit two, two huge home runs. I mean, Ricky Williams did have some, some pretty good years, but he had some you know, up-and-down time and some off-the-field issues. And Edger and James was uh, just about as important in that offense as, as Peyton Manning was. So the Colts really used that combination of uh, Wonderlick as well as their other uh, personality tests uh, to actually make uh, two pretty tough decisions on some top draft picks, and they hit home runs on both of them. So let's, uh, let's, let's backtrack for one second here. Um, Zach, the two teams that lost, it's Green Bay and Indianapolis. Let's go with Green Bay first. What do they need in this upcoming draft to be successful next year and be able to – you know, sustain a game like they had and actually beat Seattle and go back to the Super Bowl and potentially win it? What are they missing that they could add in next year's draft? Uh, anybody that can put on the hands team. But uh, if uh, if they don't sign Randall Cobb, you know, that's going to be a top priority. Uh, Devontae Adams looked, uh, looked really good in the playoffs, but uh, they're going to need somebody to fill Cobb's shoes. Uh, and then 
other than that, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're pretty set. To, obviously, you can always you can never have enough pass rushers in the NFL. But uh, a receiver would be nice, or a, a consistent tight end. But I'm not sure if there's anybody worthy of uh, a first round pick, you know, in the tight end class this year. Well, he already stole it with the hands team. I was going to say to petition the NFL to shorten games to 55 minutes, but uh, they they were definitely they were the better team yesterday. They they let one get away. And uh, interesting article I'd seen, and with all the Seattle fans who actually left uh, when it was 19 to seven, it looked like doom after that interception. Maybe maybe that's what they need: cornerbacks who are not just going to fall down. I can't uh, believe that they, lead. they didn't try to re- return that. That's crazy to me. Yeah, to me that is just the one play that I cannot believe more people are not talking about. Uh, he's got a chance to possibly take that to the house, a big game, and he just—I mean, there was still a substantial amount of time. I mean, it looked bleak, but. At that point, you just you just can't write anybody off. Yeah, they, they've got a lot of good young talent in that secondary. Players like Micah Hyde, Casey Hayward. There's there's some players there that have made some contributions. And Morgan Burnett was was another unsung hero on that defense. So I don't know. Uh, it seems like maybe just a, a couple more more bodies on the inside as well. There's been a lot of talk about uh, the defensive tackle position. I think maybe getting another stud, another BJ Raji type for the future. I think it's something this team could benefit from. But they they. They really did step up their run game. I think maybe just a couple more pieces on the inside. But overall, they're they're in very, very good shape for, for years to come. Right now in the mock draft at number 30, we have Green Bay taking Eddie Goldman, the defensive tackle from Florida State. And the next pick after that goes to Zach's point. That's Devin Funches from Michigan, uh, who's looked at as a tight end by a lot of people. So I think either of those two picks, it sounds like, would fit perfectly. Any no, pass catcher is going to be a great fit, so Aaron Rodgers makes anybody look good. Very true, and, and the same with Indianapolis. I mean, Andrew Luck makes anyone good, um, but they got crushed here. What do they need to do next year, uh, Zach, to to be able to beat a team like New England? Uh, talent-wise, they they were far, far away from, say, somebody like the, the Steelers or Baltimore or Dallas. A team, other team, there should have been other teams in the AFC representing it. They, they played... They got lucky against a very, very flat Denver team, and that's why and that's why John Fox is no longer with Denver because they came out flat. And uh, Indianapolis is, I mean, they got Andrew Luck, they got they got some good pass catchers, but they're they're still far away from being a team that could compete with the Seattle's, the uh, the New Englands. Uh, I think it starts off with uh, you know just defense in general, getting a pass rush in general. They're a team that desperately needs a pass rusher. Moncrief has looked really good. Uh, the last few weeks, but uh, I mean, defensively, they they're, they're soft. Uh, they have they have no pass rush. There's way too many times this year against Dallas, against Pittsburgh, against New England twice where they they just had no answers on defense for you know a good offense. So I I think that's a team that's still a ways away from from being a serious competitor. Because I, like I told you, even though even though they beat Baltimore in the regular season in Indianapolis, I'll take Baltimore, Pittsburgh. New England over the many day of the week. I mean, they're soft on defense. They need pass rushers. Other than Vontae Davis, they need cover guys. Uh, I mean, that's a team that uh, got lucky because uh, I'm telling you, uh, it would have been a much better AFC championship if it were the Steelers, the Ravens, you know, one of the AFC North, even the Bengals. Even though, I mean, Indianapolis beat the Bengals, but they're they're just, I mean, they're soft and they can't against a team like like uh, Cincinnati, where you really don't have like a an AJ Green. List Cincinnati, you know their defense is adequate, but against a premier offense, I mean they're so far away from being able to compete. Oh well, definitely they they, they need some playmakers on defense. I think the the secondary was a little bit of a, a pleasant surprise this year, but again with that lack of pass rush, 
it, it doesn't matter who you are. You can have all the pro bowlers in the world in the secondary, but if you give quarterbacks, you know, six, seven, eight seconds to throw constantly, there's someone's going to be open. There's just too much talent in this league and too many schemes that you, it's just impossible to cover everyone on the field all of the time. So it's going to start with that pass rush. And, of course, the running game, so much has been made of Trent Richardson and the bus there. Uh, they, they got some contributions, but, but again, they, it would just go a long way to have a top-flight runner there. And you got to wonder if they're really going to kind of test the free agent waters or, or really just go to the well again after giving up so much for Trent Richardson and having that blow up in their face. But uh, there, there's a lot of running backs out there. I think they'll take someone. They don't necessarily have to do it in the first round, though, because we see a, a lot of very good running backs who are in this draft and actually declared. So, I mean, you could wait and get someone in the third or fourth round that may make nearly as much of an impact as, as maybe a first-rounder would, uh, someone like a, a Todd Gurley, a Melvin Gordon. Uh, um, you, could, you could take someone a little bit later, like a Duke Johnson from Miami and a Mike Davis from South Carolina and still get the same type of, of effectiveness. And when you've got a, a quarterback like that, just more balance on offense is where it's really going to be about. And just more of those stout playmakers. Um, getting a, a little tougher up the middle, uh, I think, is, is where it's going to be at for this team because – just, just tough in general. <laughs> yeah, they've got some talent in the secondary, but they're just they can't cover people forever. And unfortunately, that's what's happening. They quarterbacks are packing a picnic lunch back there and just taking their time and finding a way to, to just pick them apart. All right, but let's look at the 2014 NFL draft real quick. If they did not make that trade for Trent Richardson, let's uh, the last six, uh, the last seven picks, uh, they would have had the number 26 pick. And Marcus Smith was taken there, followed by Deontay uh, Buchanan from Arizona, safety. Kelvin Benjamin, the wide receiver. Dominique Easley by New England. Jimmy Ward out of San Francisco. Bradley Roby from uh, Denver took him. And Teddy Bridgewater from uh, Minnesota took him. So out of those seven guys, you know, if they had focused on the secondary and they picked a guy like Deontay Buchanan or Jimmy Ward, um, you know, would that have made a big difference? Do you think? Yeah, well, it would have made a difference. Uh, I mean, who knows what their what their draft board looks like? I'd say. I mean, if you could pick somebody, I, I'd say they, especially considering how bad uh, Richardson was and how nice Boom Heron would be. But as a as a spellback, I mean, I think you know if you if you could take anybody that was you know that fell in the first or, or second round, I'd go uh, Jeremy Hill. But uh, right. if you had to pick out of uh, all the people that you just mentioned, I mean, I'd have to say uh, Deion Buchanan, for sure. Yeah, I think that there's some uh, some other defensive ends or people that actually uh, were in the second round. Maybe in that uh, position, Indianapolis would have been smart to kind of trade back, fall back, and, and maybe take a player like a Trent Murphy, who I think uh, played pretty well in Washington, just hasn't been able to see the field quite as much because they've, they've got some talent there on the outside. They need uh, someone to replace London Fletcher in the middle and, and – something with that abysmal secondary there in Washington. But Trent Murphy was a very good player, someone who that they could have taken in the second round. And, you know, they could trade back. They, there were some players they could trade back for and move 10 to 15 spots back, acquire a couple more picks because with Indianapolis, you usually say it's about uh, quality, not quantity, but with Indianapolis and, and the number of holes that they have on defense and the fact that there's just not a lot of depth there, uh, you could you, you might make a case for its quantity over quality right there. They, they just need – it's not going to be a quick fix. They're, they're definitely going to have to make a, 
a couple of deals or, or makes a, some a change in overall philosophy on defense because they were just not consistent. It's just something that has not been working. Okay, DJ, I want to go to the now, well, I'll say the question board real quick. And this comes from Raider Truths uh, on Twitter. They say, Rashad Green's stock seems to have fallen. Did I miss something? Did he miss something, DJ? Well, it seems to have fallen a little bit. I really don't think it's as much about Rashad Green as it's about the elevated play of some of the other wide receivers. I think that, you know, he puts up some nice stats, but aside from maybe that big uh, catch that he makes along the sideline and kind of gets them in position for that game-winning touchdown catch by Kelvin Benjamin, there's really not a lot of big, big-time catches he's really made. And some other players like uh, uh, Kevin White, who virtually came out of fifth or sixth-round territory and uh, was one of the best wide receivers uh, outside of Amari Cooper at West Virginia this year. Uh, Devontae Parker has really shown that um, he, can, he could really get it done, and it wasn't just all Teddy Bridgewater. He's really just an elite receiver who deserves first-round consideration. I think it's a little bit more about some of the players behind him that actually elevated their play more than what Rashad Green did. I still think he could be a very good pick to someone in the middle stages of the second round, maybe even slips to the early third because, again, some of those second-tier second wide receivers did more to elevate their stock than, than what Green did. Yeah, Green needs to be really impressive in the combine, and it shows that without somebody like Kelvin Benjamin, uh, you know, it's it's tough for somebody like him, and, and by like him I mean small. I think that's what it is. He's, he's not very big. He's a very slight guy to be a, a true number one receiver. But, uh, I mean, there's definitely a lot of teams. I mean, you put him on, on the Packers to kind of fill in for Randall Cobb if they choose not to sign him, you know, in the, in the very late second round. That's it. But he's, I mean, you can't, you can't put him in the first round. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll take uh, Nelson Aguilar over him. I'll take Devin Smith over him, and I'll take Sammy Coates over him. He's, a, he's, a not, a, he's not a big guy at all. I mean, he's, he, he's, he might not even be 200 pounds. Oh, he's definitely not 200 pounds. He's probably in that he's five like 180 or, or something. Yeah, I'd say he's in the 180 to 185 range. Yeah, if he doesn't run, uh, you know, a sub four five, then I mean, that's a guy that's third round. All right, let's go to another mailbag question too before we end this. Uh, this is from Patrick O'Regan. He wants to know about the Vikings mock draft because we really need someone who knows the Vikings to select your mocks. Uh, he doesn't think that they will draft defensive tackles. And he thinks the biggest needs are left guard, cornerback, and middle linebacker. Zach, do you agree or disagree with, uh, you know, Patrick's assessment needs? No, I agree. I agree that they're, they, those are definitely their needs. But, uh, I mean, are there players that are worth, especially a guard, you know, a middle linebacker? How many times do you see a middle linebacker? I mean, there's not a Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley in this class where, where you take them in. A lot of the top middle linebackers in this class are, more three, four, you know, middle linebackers, and uh, I'm not sure who we have them taking. But I mean, they they need a pass catcher, and and they need a they need a playmaker. They can get that. They can get that running back in, in the second round. But I think they need a pass catcher, and uh, I think personally, uh, they're going to end up taking whatever cornerback they like the most. So I, I mean, I agree with them on that. But I mean, I I watch a, a lot of Viking football, so, so I'm aware of their needs. But like. Like I said, you can't go out and be, just because you need a guard, you can't go out and get AJ Khan just because Tana, uh, because that, that's what you need. So I understand that that they have needs, but I mean the the teams that are consistently competing take the best best player available. I say get I get another pass rusher if if I'm the Vikings. Right. Well, right now in the mock, the way it 
lines up, and, and you have to keep in mind, I mean, all the, all the listeners and all the viewers have to keep in mind that a lot of times we'll update the order before we get a chance to update the full round mock draft, and sometimes we'll only get to update one or two rounds and, you know, uh, before we get to all seven. So it depends on what time you're looking at, what day you're looking at. But right now, the way we have Minnesota in lining up, Melvin Gordon at number 11, um, Marcus Peters, the cornerback out of Washington with the second-round pick, Shane Carden, the third-round pick out of the quarterback out of East Carolina, Daniel Fitzpatrick, safety out of Tennessee State, Jack Rumulus, uh, Rummels out of Northern Iowa, the offensive tackle, David Andrews, the center out of Georgia, and Ladarius Gunter, the cornerback out of Miami, I think maybe if you could flip the first and second round pick, I think that uh, that Peters is really going to elevate his draft stock, you know, after the combine. And I just think, like DJ said earlier, with as many running backs as you can get in the second round in in any year. Look at just the last few years in Le'Veon Bell, Eddie Lacy, Jeremy Hill. There's running backs to be gotten in the second round. Uh, I say you address, you know, that that in free agency and then maybe go out and get somebody in the second round. And then I think that – a nice fit for them at uh, at at cornerback will be uh, Marcus Peters because I think that's somebody that's really he might shoot to the top of the cornerback uh, draft board when you know when it's all said and done. Are very very hard to predict right now because right now the Vikings have of the the top people on their roster the 53 man roster 21 players unrestricted free agents the most of any team in the NFL that's the so of any team uh, the Vikings. It's really going to come down to where do they have money? Who are they going to sign? Now, they're not in terrible uh, cap space uh, or cap trouble right now, but they don't have an abundance of money either. So I think if there's, there's always a handful of teams where you're going to look at the signings and who they're going to bring back, the Vikings are at the very top of that list. And I, I anticipate, one, a defensive, uh, defensive and uh, offensive line because they've got a lot of people that they have to sign there. I'm, I think a lot of their people are in place. But Minnesota seems to have been bitten by the injury bug along the line the last few years, and unfortunately there's not a lot of depth there. With the numbers that they have to replace, I think it's three of their top four defensive tackles um, are, are up for contracts as well. So I think it's going to be a lot about depth and mix, mixing in those immediate playmakers, which they need. And also, of, of course, I'm kind of anticipating maybe Adrian Peterson not being there. So we're going to have to see how the Adrian Peterson uh, saga plays out. So I think if you had to put, like, maybe the top five teams where it's you really got to look at the offseason because Teddy Bridgewater didn't do bad. I mean, he didn't set the world on fire, but he really didn't He didn't really lose games for the Vikings. Let's put it that way. He, he had his moments, and uh, they just need to surround him with a, a few more playmakers there, but there's so many un, uh, people who are up for contract. One of the trickiest teams to try and anticipate right now because it's really going to come down to who they're actually going to be able to sign and who they're going to have to let walk this walk on the streets and where they're going to have to plug up some holes. Well, this was fun. I, I think uh, we're going to take more from the mailbags going forward. I know there's a lot of people who have a lot of questions. We get a lot of emails every day. It's very tough to answer them all. So uh, we're going to pick a few and start answering them on the podcast. I think it's a good way to segue into different topics. So can't wait to see the slideshow from uh, Brutus at Disney World. That's, I guess, what we're, we're all waiting to see now. Yeah, baby. We'll just wait till next year. We should make we should make it two. We should try to get a two year reservation. You know, two for the price of one. Because I, I can I can guarantee you they're going to win it next year. Yeah. Well, they might have a little more competition with uh, 
the big rival is Michigan with Jim Harbaugh coming on board. I don't think that's going to be the problem. I think Michigan State's going to be the problem. That's very true as well. I'm definitely more worried about Michigan State than I am uh, than I am Michigan. I'm happy that Jim Harbaugh is there, though, because it's a beautiful rivalry that hasn't been very beautiful for uh, the last few years. I mean, ever since Trestle came to office. But, uh, yeah, two years in a row. And I don't see why why not three years in a row. But this this, uh, this upcoming uh, Ohio State class is going to be – when we're talking about the next year's draft, it's going to be, I mean, just littered with, with Ohio State players. Yeah, I think the Big Ten, it's 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 going to be a cakewalk for them in the Big Ten. It's going to be those uh, teams from outside and other conferences. I think Michigan State's the biggest uh, thing there. But if I had to add just one thing, we talked about very good tight ends. One guy who came on very late in the season, and actually a lot of times I don't think redshirt sophomores really make the right decision, but Max Williams, the tight end out of Minnesota, if there's one guy who could come from obscurity and shoot to the top of the draft board with a yeah, no, no, maybe even going all the way to the first round, this could be the guy from the Big Ten from Minnesota. Put this down. Max Williams could be the Max Williams could be the guy that we're talking about a year or two. Going, wow, where did this guy come from? He's really putting up some big numbers. If, if he, if he was on like, USC, he would have you know had a thousand yards receiving. Max Williams is the real deal. He could be the first tight end off the board. It's quite possible. Thanks everyone for coming on. Thanks for listening, DJ Zach. All right, have a good week, everybody. Give you what?